First, um, uh, just now in this chant, kind of paying respects to the to the Buddha, and uh, just so I have a sense of also want to kind of um, offer my respect and appreciation to all of you, um, you know, just for your sort of ongoing efforts to keep a- applying yourself to this work and this practice and. Uh, I've enjoyed um, meeting some of you individually and um, others of you just observing the way that we're all kind of moving through this space and uh, the way that we're kind of generating this field of Sangha together and uh, kind of um, silently offering this support for each other to kind of go through our you know, internal process. And, uh, yeah, this is a great gift um, and a very rare thing in this world. So very important, especially in these last few days of the retreat, to really um, take in the preciousness of this time and to really use each moment you know, to, um, to, to, to to develop this this practice. And uh, you know, just um, certainly from speaking with some of you, and then just uh, knowing from. You know, my own experience, this, this isn't always easy work. Or, I'm not sure it's ever easy work, actually. It um, you know, can be, um, you know, many demons to face and meet along the way. And just, uh, you know, reflecting on, you know, if this is, uh, I don't know how many years doing this retreat, uh, the Angela Center, and just kind of walking into this um, room and this sort of imagery of uh, the stations of the cross and the very kind of a kind of classic image of the crucifixion and this kind of uh, stark, in a way, kind of symbol of, of suffering and a kind of an extreme of suffering. Um, and then, uh, then this kind of uh, turning to the the shrine with the Buddha and the Kuan Yin, and it's um, you know this uh, it's kind of like the other end of the the, the kind of sense of calm and benevolence and. Um, Kind of bestowing blessings in a way from this uh, place of, of deep realization, and uh, you know, just recognizing that you know through the through the years, and sometimes just even in in the course of a single day, how the psychologically the you know, the mind and heart can you know go the whole gamut uh, through these extremes. Uh, you know, sometimes. Uh, and just catch us quite unawares. We could be like tum-ti-tum, going along quite peacefully, and then suddenly drop into a quite a black hole, and then you know maybe an hour or so later, come something else happening, or you know it's just uh, 
you know, all, all of these, um, you know, these kind of potentials can, can happen for us when we start to really um, engage more consciously with our experience. And uh, in a way, we're sort of creating this like a little microcosm of a monastery here, because I'm just thinking like the, you know, our daily life at the monastery, we have these kind of rituals and routines that um, kind of providing a container within which, um, you know, these kind of can pass through these different states of, of you know, mind and heart and they kind of, um, you know, where within which all the kind of shaking down, you know, can happen and, uh, and in a way, you know, just these kind of routines just give a, you know, a sort of, a, it's like a, you know, space within which we just kind of show up and, you know, whatever's happening inside, you know, we just kind of turn up for puja and bowing to the shrine and, uh, you know, at the mealtime, the sort of chanting and the reflections on the gratitude for the food and the, the, kind, the kindness of that offering. And, uh, you know, this, you know, the, whatever's happening inside is kind of is held w- within that, you know, and, um, and then, you know, there are also... Surely there can be times when someone's really, uh, you know, they're, if they're really hitting a wall, then there is certainly that container may also include, uh, you know, the need for somebody to just disappear to their room and uh, other members of the community sort of drop in with cups of tea and hot water bottles and uh, cuddles and that kind of thing and sharing the teddy bears. and So that, that you know, that may also you know, be part of it too, and sometimes, you know, we do just need to give ourselves that um, kind of uh, opportunity to just collapse a little bit and uh, let the kind of experience move through. Um, So, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about, you know, what I wanted to um, share tonight, and uh, I was thinking kind of somehow at this point in the retreat that it might be quite helpful to... um, Kind of read a ver- it's a version of the the night of the Buddha's um, awakening and uh, kind of in a sort of somewhat poetic uh, detail describes just you know some of the, the um, you know the, the the various hosts of Mara and so on that he met you know in that um, in that night and you know and sometimes this can sound very far from from where we are um, but I I think. Uh, I'd like to, to, to read that and then just offer some reflections on how some of those challenges that uh, the Buddha was meeting that night kind of compare with our, you know, our daily lives and practice and uh, these different states of, of mind and heart that we can uh, move through. Um, so I also really like reading stories. So it's a <laughs> Yeah, so just as you listen, just really, um, you know, reflecting on, you know, what it brings up for you, just hearing that, um, you know, these uh, challenges that, that, you know, that, and, uh, you know, just the, you know, all these um, experiences that we move through along the path of practice and uh, this sort of, this message of, um, you know, the Buddha that this is, um, you know, that this is a universal, these are universal themes and, you know, we can all um, relate to this practice because these are universal human themes that we're all uh, that we're all a part of and connected to. Um, 
<clears throat> Touching the earth. Centuries ago, a seeker, one who searches for a way beyond birth and death, was wandering through a remote valley of one of the many tributaries of the Ganges River. He had been wandering for six years, and in the course of that time had studied under teachers, developed meditation, and strengthened his considerable resolve. Most recently, he had been part of a group of six ascetics whose view was that the way to liberation opened through disregarding or suppressing the senses. Eating solid food was to be done begrudgingly, if at all. The body was to be chastised and its needs given no attention. In this, as in all his previous spiritual disciplines, the seeker excelled his companions. And yet, he knew that he had attained no superior state and gained no liberating wisdom. At this critical point, reduced to a scrawny creature of little more than flaking skin and bone, he had left the group to intensify his practice in solitude. Finally, he found a grove of trees and took up a sitting position at the root of a fig tree, determined to sit in full awareness, mind bent on investigating whatever might arise in his consciousness. His aim was to see if there could be a way through the shifting manifestations of thoughts, sensations and emotions to discover whether there was some absolute and unshakable state. Yet as he tried to apply himself, he found that his body was now too weak to even sustain sitting upright, nor was his mind steady or clear. Strained and driven only by willpower, it could neither open nor settle into calm. Instead, his mind formed voices that whispered in his inner ear, some accusing, some mocking. Strange visions flittered through the shifting veils of consciousness. He was unable to repel or investigate them. A despondent inertia hovered over him like a vulture. There were some slight sounds and a quiet voice that at first barely made an impression on his mind. Groggy as he was, his awareness still sensed a shift in the gloom of his near-death state. Pulling apart the eyelids which had glued shut, he made out the form of a young woman kneeling in front of him with a dish. Sujata asks for your blessing, noble one, she said, gently as she laid the dish in front of him. Please take my offering so that my generosity can be fulfilled. He moved his lips, 
but his throat could not form words. Yet her kindness touched chords in his heart and a sense that had been ignored for years began to stir. Before he could form a thought, his head had made a movement of assent and one skinny hand had lifted in response. Sujata smiled and withdrew and while allowing the natural instinct to move through him, the seeker found himself carefully scooping a meal of sweet milk rice from the dish, one slow mouthful at a time, until he had consumed it all. Life flowed through his system like the sap that fed the tree under which he sat. Why not, he thought, let nature look after nature. What good is there in fighting against its laws? Why not let it support me in this quest? With his body refreshed and his mind clearing from its near-death delirium, he sat cross-legged and upright under the canopy of the tree and steadied his awareness on the experience of breathing in and out. It suddenly occurred to him that when he was a child he had done just that, quite spontaneously, and it had taken him to a place of natural calm. Eagerly, he picked up the theme. Evening came, and with it shadows, and the sounds of the many animals that move through the night. Sensing this, the seeker's mind entered its own deep shadows and all that lurks there. Fear and uncertainty arose, followed by a procession of moods, apathy, craving and negativity amongst many others swelled into a veritable army attacking his resolve. Boredom, sense desire, drowsiness and passions beset him as he sat there hour after hour. And yet, now on guard against every inner voice, as well as against forcefully suppressing them, he continued to sit firm and upright in full awareness. The night progressed while the power of these energies seemed to crystallize into one great raging force. It was like a demon battering and tugging him, and it swept into the depths of his heart, where he could hear its seductive whispering. Why sit here under a tree at night alone, wasting your youth? How can anything good come, come of this painful and impotent sojourn? Why not trust life? Learn as you go through its joys and marvels and challenges. It's late. Take a rest and see what the morning brings. The seeker unified his mind around his resolve and looked for a clear response. Eventually one came. I know you, demon, your Mara, the deceiver, the voice of death. You're the one who has kept me chasing delusions and running from shadows through life after life and death after death. This time, I'm not moving. 
You won't shift me with your doubts and empty promises. You know nothing, and you'll get nothing out of sitting here. Death will sweep you away like a twig in a flood, said Mara. And even before that comes, I can call on forces of fear, loneliness and longing that will drive you to despair and send you running for comfort. You just have one feeble body and a heart awash with confusion. How do you think that your sitting still is going to conquer me? My body is mortal, but I'm not relying on that. My heart may sense fear and craving. But I'm not taking a stand on that. I have an inheritance of many lives spent in working for purity, both of conduct and of mind. And sitting still, alone, unarmed, I also can command a tide that will check your flood. I stand on being at peace with whatever arises. Here now, I call this very earth to witness that I, am, that I am ready, ripe with all the perfections that are needed to sweep you and your demon host out of my heart. With these words, the seeker focused his attention deep within his embodied awareness. In that calm center, beneath personality, thoughts and moods, he touched into a rich ground. A response was not long in coming. His firmness grew as he recollected the huge store of virtues and resolves that he had enacted over many lives. And in his mind's eye, the very spirit of the earth rose up like a goddess, wrapping her long hair into a braid. She twisted it and wrung out of it a great fountain of water that swept through the darkness of the grove. His heart brimmed with confidence and clarity radiated around him. Mara and his entire host had dissolved like mist at dawn. After allowing the clarity and joy to wash their refreshing tides through him, the seeker resumed his introspection. He began recalling the results of acts based on kindness, patience, resolve and more. The deeds of many lifetimes. He reviewed the processes that determine everyone's life, the pressure, turmoil and pain that accompanied them, and finally, how they can be put to rest. By the time that dawn had arisen, a deep, unshakable peace had settled within him. He had discovered the release from the grip of death.
So just taking this, um, the first, sort of one of the first phrases, strained and driven only by willpower, the mind could neither open nor settle into calm. And uh, I was just looking at some of the, you know, the, there's, you know, various versions of this in the scriptures, and uh, just to kind of give a, a sort of a sense of the kind of extremes that the Buddha went to with the ascetic practices, and says, uh, my backside became like a camel's hoof, my spine stood out like a string of beads, my ribs jutted out like the jutting rafters of an old uh, tumble-down barn, and my scalp shriveled and withered. And uh, this sense of a despondent inertia set in. So, even without going to these extremes, uh, in this uh, Buddha did take it to the absolute extreme. But you know, maybe we can kind of recognize in some way these sort of points in our own practice where there's just a kind of a lack of any sense of joy or inspiration and you know it can just uh, feel like a kind of desolate grind um, and this may be you know when we've just been pushing ourselves uh, like too hard and uh, somehow just like not respecting our basic humanity and this you know this um, this sense of the, this path as a kind of humbling process and recognizing that sometimes, you know, right effort means just a kind of slowing down and uh, just giving ourselves, um, you know, some nurturance and, and reassurance and, uh, you know, maybe just letting the body have some time to rest and kind of rejuvenate. And, uh, you know, this practice is about just really meeting what, whatever is arising in a skillful, empathic way. Um, you know, but sometimes we kind of uh, go to war with ourselves in our, in our practice and we kind of keep generating this conflict between just how we are and where we are and uh, how we think we should be and you know, where, what we think we should have um, achieved by now. You know, and there's a lot of um, kind of selfing coming into that process, and this kind of gets in the way. It you know, gets in the way of our capacity to just meet experience as it is. So this uh, kind of re- rejection of the body as a kind of means of, of bringing the senses uh, like somehow under control is a kind of ascetic self-torment and. Uh, you know, we can, yeah, really have to be careful of bringing this kind of forceful attitude to our practice, and uh, you know that somehow renunciation can become a kind of struggle with ourselves, and like a, re- a rejection, like a re- kind of rejection or denial of the things that we still, you know, that we still crave and would still like, and uh, you know this can just be an- another kind of becoming that's you know based in. Uh, Kind of, you know, grasping, kind of becoming or grasping is kind of based in a kind of aversion, you know, aversion of, of things, a 
the desire to, to sort of not be and to, to get, get away from our experience. And, uh, you know, true renunciation is not something that we need to force in this way. It's, uh, it's something that arises naturally in the heart when we recognize the harm of just uh, following this, um, this kind of blindly following the mind of craving. And, uh, you know, often, you know, we can't anyway get what we want, or even if we get it, it's not quite in the way that we wanted it, or, uh, you know, or, you know, that it's not coming when we wanted it. And sometimes the, just the amount of time that we can spend strategizing and planning and, you know, the, how we kind of hope to get this kind of sought-after object. And uh, this in itself kind of just steals our peace and, uh, and can become a source of, and like sometimes a source of proliferating anxiety and even frustration and, you know, taking further to a kind of ongoing neurosis that um, can uh, be a kind of torment for us. And even if we sort of do get what we want, it's, um, you know, it still doesn't bring us much peace because then there's the fear of losing it. Um, you know, or not getting, not having access to a continued supply. Um, and especially if it's something we've become in some way dependent on. And, uh, you know, there's addiction, anyone who's been through a process of addiction be familiar with this um, kind of constant chase, really, for just simply for a relief from craving. Um, and it's kind of set, sets up a pattern of like needing something outside of ourselves to, to fill up an emptiness which is, in a way, which is constantly being renewed by the very act of reaching out. We're sort of creating this emptiness within ourselves by that constant reaching out for something beyond ourselves. And, uh, you know, we can never get beyond craving if we don't cultivate contentment. So this supreme, supreme effort by the Buddha to starve the senses didn't, didn't bring about the, the release he was searching for because uh, the, the body was in a state of uh, kind of exhaustion and, and distress. And, uh, you know, the mind, you know, was literally starved of sympathy in this kind of drive for a completion of the quest. And... Uh, you know, we can sometimes, we also can sometimes live in this way when we're uh, kind of continuously, our mind is continuously leaking out into the future. And, uh, you know, we forget to just uh, attend to our human needs in, in the present. Just uh, this simple question, you know, of what's needed now, you know, just to ask ourselves, you know, what's what's needed right now in this moment. And, uh, yeah, it's like we're kind of constantly waiting for the, or just just constantly this peace and satisfaction that's going to come sometime in the future. But uh, it's like a kind of ever unattainable because when we get there, we're, you know, kind of that sort of state of always... <laughs> kind of uh, extending into the future just continues and, uh, you know, we never really kind of just uh, can settle in and enjoy you know, the, the, the peace of the here and now. And I, 
was just kind of remembering, like, um, you know, getting to the end of a, my life before being at the monastery, getting to the end of a working week, and, uh, you know, some sort of, um, you know, be kind of happy, quite tired, and then kind of happy for the like, first two days of the weekend, and this kind of feeling of depression that could set in on a sort of Sunday afternoon, this um, kind of feeling of uh, just despondency, and it was... Uh, just as you know, what else was happening was the study was kind of loosening up around the feelings, which there wasn't the time to process um, in this kind of hurried pace of the, of the week at work, and it's like these uh, kind of yeah, difficult feelings and irritations would sort of line up for my attention um, when they had the space to arise on this uh, supposedly this kind of nice day of rest and recuperation and. Uh, would kind of feel assailed, um, you know, and that could be kind of overwhelming, you know. And in some ways, you know, that's um, like a little bit. I think what happens in the, especially for uh, you know myself and I think many others, the first few days of the retreat, this can, uh, you know, a lot of stuff is kind of catching up with us, and uh, like all these uh, kind of orphans of consciousness in a way that want to be. Uh, you know, all kind of rallying for our attention, and uh, so yeah, this um, just remembering to really be 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 patient with this, and uh, you know, the sort of uh, the, the the tendency is to just want to kind of push it down again, but this uh, you know, it's like it's not going anywhere. We don't kind of uh, get through anything that way. It's just going to wait for the next opportunity to. Uh, to 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 um, to kind of speak its truth and and to be released and uh, so this uh, you know this is the opportunity that we we have here and uh, so just reflecting on the Buddha you know, receiving this um, you know offering of, of food and you know certainly you probably notice this is something we you know very much very much kind of make much of in the monastic um, life is, uh, is kind of living as alms mendicants and this is a very important part of the day, the sense of um, offering and receiving with gratitude and really honouring the many beings that have uh, made that event possible that we can uh, have this opportunity to, to practice and in a way that's going right back to this, um, this kind of very significant meal offering to the Buddha at this uh, pivotal moment, um, and this uh, sense of her her kindness touched chords in his heart, and uh, just thinking how there's a kind of distinct um, a kind of acknowledgement of the, the kind of the balance being offered by the energy of the feminine um, and the, the gentleness which had been kind of so long denied in a way, in, in this kind of, in the very masculine mode of pursuit. And uh, this kind of um, introduction of this more feminine energy was able to restore a sense of balance. Um, and, uh, you know, just to be clear, I, I, I'm not so much talking about men and, and women, but more these, um, these masculine and feminine energies that we all can, kind of, uh, that, you know, we contain all of that, in, you know, within... Um, all of us, we have we have to keep finding, you know, if we're pushing too hard, if we need to bring in something 
a little bit more receptive and nurturing, and uh, just this ongoing uh, restoration of balance. And uh, the sense her, her kindness touched chords in his heart, and a sense that had been ignored for years began to stir. And so, yeah, in our, yeah, as I've been saying, in our own practice, we need to just keep an, like an ongoing process of inquiry and, and review to see what's, you know, what's needed now. You know, and the mind you know, will, will kind of keep telling us a story about what, what we or others um, should, what we should be, what we should do, what we should get. Uh, what we deserve, and kind of on and on like this, and can compose you know, beautiful, reasonable-sounding arguments, which seem very convincing, and uh, this kind of pull of Mara, in a way, that can take us away from our resolve. And uh, so we have to listen very carefully, and you know, use our, our mindfulness to, to discern whether following such pursuits has really brought. Um, the satisfaction or relief that they can seem to promise. Because even with the noblest of intentions, um, we can still be kind of operating from an ideal and uh, imposing that on our experience and not, you know, sometimes not seeing the truth that is right under our noses. Um, you know, and then certainly in some of the extremes that we see of religious fundamentalism and the kind of great atrocities that have been committed under you know, the delusional notions of like so maybe of, of saving souls by the destruction of life and uh, corruptions of dignity and uh, you know, and uh, so just really have to be kind of careful to you know this is of course this is quite extreme and I'm sure none of us have in that mode, but just uh, recognizing that the, you know that um, when these things are go unchecked, how far you know how far it can go, how far the how great the madness can can be, and uh, we just we uh, sometimes at the monastery get a, an opportunity to to watch a kind of film like a documentary or you know something like this, and uh, we recently watched um, the Michael Moore movie where. Where, where we would invade next? Where to invade next? <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to go into a whole synopsis of what it was about, but one of the um, scenes was it was um, uh, Michael Moore visiting a Norwegian prison, and uh, just very touching to see this um, whole different um, relationship to the prison system and the. Basically, the, the, the emphasis is on this kind of nurturing of a, a returning citizen um, and by treating them with the kind of respect and decency that they can then take back out into the world when they leave. And uh, consequently, they have the, the lowest rates of reoffending in the whole of Europe. Uh, very few um, people are reoffending in that, in that system. And, uh, this is a, a very far cry from the traditional systems, uh, prison systems based on kind of a punishment and brutality. Um, this kind of sense of seeing the, the criminal as a kind of permanent identity rather than 
it's like a human being in need of care and, and restoration. Um, yeah. And that, you know, our, our, you know, our karma is how we respond to the um, wrongdoing of others and, uh, you know, just uh, this importance of, you know, just uh, recognizing that the, the inherent um, human potential that if the, the right seeds are nurtured, then the, the goodness can come forth. And uh, just, I, I just have a pen pal who's a, um, in a prison in, in uh, Chicago and been writing for maybe uh, almost three years now. And uh, he's, I think like one year, he's 43 and has been in prison for 25 years now and um, you know in that time has uh, developed a very deep um, practice and uh, you know, very much um, you know comes through in his writing and just the way how he you know meets the, some of the you know, very uh, difficult challenges of that environment and with his um, ongoing Dharma practice this kind of opening of sensitivity around the heart and uh, just having to um, yeah, just hold that openness within this system. And uh, he wrote to me recently about a situation where he was kind of wrongly accused of something um, within the prison and was uh, put in a kind of solitary confinement um, kind of tank, whatever, for, I think they call it the hole, for a, a couple of weeks. And uh, just saying a little bit about that, it was um, you know, just very beautiful hearing his reflections on that because... Uh, you know, in a way, it was like every right to be, you know, for him to feel justified in feeling a kind of vitriolic sort of anger and the kind of rage at the injustice of that. And, uh, you know, and in, instead it was like, uh, you know, really engaged in this in, sort of process of inquiry about, oh, you know, maybe there's just some old karmic uh, stuff that I'm having the opportunity to, to work through here. And uh, in this time, um, he... There was like another young guy prisoner there who, you know, with um, you know very difficult literacy skills, and and uh, was able to help him learning how to write letters to his family. And uh, meanwhile, in the you know beyond the solitary, in the rest of the prison, people that that knew him um, and heard about what had happened were were just um, unanimously like, there's no way that he would have uh, done that. It was just like his. His name carried a very good reputation, and uh, he described a, a, a young, another young prisoner that he'd um, he'd met in a some kind of art class or something they had there, and who who uh, had ju- he'd just spent some time with quite briefly before this had happened, and that this uh, young man, on hearing um, this kind of the, the kind of the how. It, this, his name carried this good reputation and this kind of respect that um, was held for him was just, um, you know, his comment was like, wow, I really hope that one day I can have a name like that. Just this sense of this kind of aspiration and just, um, you know, recognizing this, like, this kind of integrity and a, and, and a kind of aspiration to, to, uh, to rise up to that. And uh, so... You know, when on hearing about this, it's, um, you know, my friend, you know, was just kind of delighting in, in a sort of sense of mudita, in the, 
you know, that, that, that him having gone through this whole experience could have such a wholesome effect on the mind of this, um, this young man. And, uh, and in a way, for him, that just made sense, you know, it was enough to make sense of the whole experience. And uh, so I was, I was kind of, anyway, I was touched, and I, I asked him to just share a little about, you know, how it, how it was in there. And, and uh, one of the things that just stood out for me in his description was that he said, you're allowed out of the, the space, like I think for one hour a day, out into the yard, or, or obviously to use the bathroom, but every time you leave the cell, he would have to put, they would put shackles on his uh, ankles. And I, I, I mean, I was a little horrified, and um, very horrified actually, and, and kind of shocked at something which seemed so archaic. Um, you know, and sort of uh, just, yeah, just uh, really archaic and, and like from another time somehow, and just to discover that, you know, such, um, you know, practices still kind of commonplace and, uh, you know, and just, um, you know, correspondingly the dignity of, of his, um, his being and his response to that and just, um, in a way, for me, this really exemplifies the potential of, of practice, that whatever the external conditions, if we are really kind of cultivating our, you know, our hearts with integrity, integrity that we, um, you know, we have this potential to rise up and, and uh, you know, meet even the most difficult situations with the utmost skill, you know, and... Uh, Certainly for, for myself, I'm not, you know, the challenges are in, not in any way, you know, as extreme as that. So it's um, kind of a, a real uh, humbling reminder of, the, you know, the, the potential that we have. And uh, so, yeah, just coming back to this, um, this, this point in the night where the Buddha with fear and uncertainty arose followed by a procession of, of moods, apathy, craving, and negativity amongst many others, swelled into a veritable army, attacking his resolve. Boredom, sense-desire, drowsiness beset him. So I'm sure we all recognize that th these can arise in our meditation and, and uh, throughout our lives. And. Uh, in the Buddha's declaration tomorrow, I, I stand on, on being at peace with whatever arises. He's giving us, um, in a way, the, 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 key, to, the key to freedom. Um, and I would say that the, the end of struggling to find some kind of lasting peace or happiness in the world. So, you know, through applying, as we're doing here, this quality of, of viveka or, or seclusion, um, you know, we can draw our attention inward and, and touch the, uh, as the has been saying, touching the deep silence of, of the body and, uh, you know, and, and touching into an awareness that, that kind of can transcend this like, ever-shifting cascade of, of, of thoughts and feelings and emotions and uh, you know that keep us in this uh, kind of ongoing struggle with you know the, the sort of vicissitudes of life which are inevitable and uh, you know this very struggle in itself which is the you know which is the endless wandering on of samsara and 
an ongoing source of inner turmoil. <clears throat> so recalling the results of acts based on kindness, patience and resolve. So finally we must um, you know, regularly remember to recollect our virtues and the, and the goodness of others also in, in whatever way it's arising and uh, sometimes we can um, you know, thinking about ourselves, we can't find any. It can have this very um, kind of uh, negative view of ourselves that can sometimes um, kind of look in to find goodness and, uh, you know, all we see are shadows. You know, and uh, this can, you know, this can happen for us and certainly can happen for, you know, people that, to the rest of the world, you know, very good, good people, you know, doing many good things. But this... Um, this kind of lack of self-respect or, or self-appreciation. Um, so, you know, surely that we're all here in a situation like this and uh, having this, you know, this uh, safe container for practice and having all of the necessary requisites for, you know, for living in, uh, you know, in, in generous abundance here. Um, you know, there's a... a Sign that you know we, we must have uh, we must have done some good to uh, you know to be worthy of this in a way so uh, this uh, so we can kind of trust this uh, in, in one of the the teachings in the I think in one of the suttas or commentaries there's a the story of the blind turtle that um, and it's uh, as the story goes this um, this sense of that, that if there was a um, like a rubber ring floating around on top of the oceans and a, a blind turtle was to come up and put its head up above the ocean once every hundred years. Um, the chances of its putting its head through, through that ring, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the chance you have of being reborn with, in a human birth and uh, being able to hear the Dharma. So, you know, we may... You know, forget forget the blessedness of our lives, and uh, you know we can feel quite cursed at times. But just uh, thinking about it from this perspective, it sort of certainly puts a very different um, different slant you know, on it. It's uh, in a way of this kind of amazing opportunity. So, you know, by recollecting our goodness, we you know we build up our resources and and. Uh, support the mind in, in the increasing capacity to open and let go and uh, you know by strengthening also these qualities of heart through ongoing acts of, of love and generosity um, it's like we're giving the mind a safe place um, in which to, to settle and to abide um, it's like uh, sort of freeing the mind from the need to just keep generating more suffering and uh, arriving at this place of, of uh, the unshakable, unshakable deliverance of the heart. Just offer these words for your encouragement, and uh, I really wish you well in these last few days of the retreat. Uh.
Tandamayang dhamagataya sadukarang dadamase Sadu, sadu, sadu Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.